So, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ear. <laughs> As we've come to the last lesson in our study of Romans. I think we began this study 50 lessons ago. And now we're at the end of the journey. And it almost seems, seems anticlimactic, these last uh, few passages. And I'm glad we're not going through chapter 16 because that would really seem anticlimactic. So, but I want you to notice, if you haven't noticed already, that this, in many ways, has been kind of a flip-flop book from, say, the book of Galatians for Paul. If you look at the book of Galatians, which we're going to do, uh, because that's going to be the next book we study next year, but if we look at this letter uh, to the Galatians, it was a defense of the gospel that was being destroyed by Judaizers. Those who are trying to convert the Galatians from Gentiles to Jews. Telling them that unless you're circumcised and obey the Torah with all of its customs, with all of the customs of the Jewish people, you can't be saved. Paul knew and the disciples knew that the Messiah had brought a new halakha for keeping Torah. Not in the way of the endless tra- uh, traditions being passed on from generation to generation, but by the Spirit of God, through Messiah, abiding in your heart, teaching you the essence of Torah, loving your neighbor as yourself. In this letter to the Romans, we have a flip of that. He's telling the Romans, look, don't judge the Jewish people for their traditions, but prefer your brother. If what you eat offends your brother, then don't eat it. Because your brothers, the Jewish people, may still be misled by those traditions of the rabbis and be of less faith than you. So you be stronger and prefer them. Don't offend them by what you eat or drink, but nurture them just as the apostles nurtured you. They handed down this verdict in Acts chapter 15 that preferred you and gave you time to learn. Be of the same kindness and understanding and patience and prefer your brother who's new to the faith. You see, for Paul, it wasn't about traditions of men. It wasn't about following the traditions of men. If nothing else, that's the whole lesson of Galatians. Paul had followed men all of his life. Right up to the Damascus Road experience where he met Yeshua. All of his life he followed the traditions of his forefathers and thought he was following God. But after meeting Yeshua, he realized that God all along wanted just relationship with Paul and with each of us. And with the book of Romans, he's telling us that it's not about, even about your freedom in Messiah from those traditions. That is your freedom in Messiah, but it's about your freedom in Messiah not to offend one another. You don't have the freedom to eat meat that you know is clean if your brother who's not so sure is offended. You don't have that freedom. Paul says, better not to eat than to offend. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians. He says, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. You see, for Paul, it wasn't about your freedom. It was about, it was about your freedom, but not so much from the traditions, but from your flesh. Freedom to love your fellow man enough even to set aside 
Your freedom's in Messiah for your brother's good. For Paul, it was about relationship with God and relationship with the other followers of Messiah Yeshua. Prefer your brother as long as it doesn't violate God's Torah. Instead of getting your, in your brother's face, instead of showing this new follower of Yeshua all you know and doing things that might offend him, cause him to stumble, Paul says, if you're so strong in the faith, don't do it. And he tells us why in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You see, for Paul, it was about being a witness for Messiah Yeshua, being patient with your brother, preferring him. We're to build each other up. And those who insist on doing what is offensive or... Or, or living according to the flesh, he says this in chapter 16 and verse 17, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your brother's way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, but their own appetites. Those who put themselves before others, Paul says, they don't serve God. They're serving themselves. And we are to serve Yeshua and be examples of Yeshua. And Yeshua, he came to serve. If we're to be examples of Yeshua, he came to serve. That's what Romans 15 verses 8 and 9 told us last week. For I tell you that Messiah has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. You know what we have here while we're speaking of flip-flops, we're we have in Rome one of the greatest turnarounds in history. We're seeing the start of the seat of the congregation of Yeshua moving from its Jewish founders in Jerusalem to Roman Gentiles. And let me say it wasn't of a move of God that this happened, but it was because of a political process. The political forces in Rome. We're seeing this in Rome as a result of the expulsion of the Jews. And we'll see it completed with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the death of the apostles. What we're seeing is that they're not being kind. They're not being patient with their Jewish brothers. You see, because of the anti-Semitism in Rome and, its subse- and the subsequent expulsion of the Jewish people, the Roman Gentiles have gained the upper hand in the synagogues there, and they're not considering their Jewish brothers who are returning. But think about it. That's not how the Jewish disciples treated the Gentiles. How did they treat the Gentiles? Well, let's read Acts chapter 15 real quick. Verses 24 through 29. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization to disturb you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats, from strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. 
Look at the kindness, the compassion toward the Gentiles, a concern with them being troubled and turning away from the salvation that's found in Yeshua, a desire not to burden them, a desire to see them grow and become all they could be in Messiah Yeshua in the kingdom of heaven. And what do we hear from the church? After Rome becomes the seat of the church. Well, we looked at one last week. Let's repeat it. It says, Ignatius said, It's monstrous to talk of Yeshua the Messiah and practice Judaism. And remember when we looked at Justin Martyr, he said, Your circumcision of the flesh is the only mark by which you can certainly be distinguished from other men. As I stated before, it was by reason of your sins and the sins of your fathers that among other precepts, God imposed upon you the observance of the Sabbath as a mark. You see, the church fathers were hostile toward the Jews. They passed that hostility on to the members of the church. And it lasts up to this very day. In just a few short years, there's a total separation of the Jewish people and the Gentile church. And that's certainly not what Paul intended by as he penned this letter. In fact, quite the opposite was on his mind. A drawing together. Paul made a huge mistake in judgment, at least if you believe his letter. He says this in verse 14 of chapter 15. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Hey, we can look back through history and the quotes of the church fathers and see that was not the case. The Roman church took the good news of Yeshua that the Jewish people and the disciples took to them and twisted it into something that the Jewish people and the disciples wouldn't even recognize. If we move forward a hundred years from the time of Paul and Paul could have somehow survived that hundred years and made it to that ripe old age, and he were to walk into a Roman congregation, he wouldn't have found anyone there because he would have showed up on the Sabbath. And so he'd have to sit down on the steps for 24 hours and wait for everybody to get there. Another hundred years or so, and he would have found that they had forsaken the Torah and would have been appalled that they used his writings to do it. They had forsaken their moral compass. What Paul termed as this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. He says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Maybe at the writing of this letter they were competent in knowledge, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. But after giving up their moral compass, that soon vanished. They gave up what God gave us to live by to teach us, uh, uh, to teach others to live by. 2 Timothy says this in chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, maybe at the writing of this letter they were complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another, but at the loss of what God gave them to teach... To rebuke, correct, and equip for every good work, they were no longer competent to instruct one another. As Paul says, God gave it so that we'd be equipped to do every good work. 
And he tells the Ephesians this in chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works, which God prepared for in advance for us to do. At the time of the writing of this letter, they may have been complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another, but without the Torah that God gave to equip us for every good work, they were no longer competent. They no longer had the manual that God gave us. He says this in chapter 15, verse 15. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Messiah Yeshua to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, he says he wrote them quite boldly on some points, but I have to say, I don't think he wrote them boldly enough. He wrote them this. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say them branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant. Be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. How did the church fathers respond to such a thing? To such a statement. Well Justin Martyr said this. And therefore all this happened to you rightly and well. For you slew the just one and his prophets before him. They were so full of themselves. That they had forgotten the words of the gospel. They had forgotten the very gospel itself. That Paul preached. They had forgotten the words of the master. In John chapter 10 verse 14 it says. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock with one shepherd. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You see, they forgot the essence of the good news that Messiah gave his life for you and I. And yes, the Romans put him on a stake, but he gave his life. He laid it down for us. Justin Martyr, those words we read were the words of one of the most respected church fathers. And they show that he had no understanding of the gospel. And not even the history of this event. Yeshua gave his life. And yes, men put him on the stake. But the men that put him on the stake were actually a collaboration of Jew and Roman. Jew and Gentile. In fact, I'm the one that put him on the stake. You're the one that put him on the stake. He says this in verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Messiah Yeshua in my service to God, and I will not venture to speak of anything except what Messiah has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way to uh, Illyricum, I hate that word, I have proclaimed the gospel of Messiah. 
It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where, you, where Messiah was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. See, Paul's, this is Paul's last proof text in all the book of Romans. The last quote from Torah. And it comes from Isaiah 52. And I want to go there, but I want to read a little bit more of Isaiah 52. Because I think Paul kind of sums up what Paul is getting at. He says in verse 7, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people and he shall redeem Jerusalem. You see, for Paul, it was all about the redemption of men. About seeing the good news of Messiah spread throughout the world. It was about the grace of God poured out so that we might follow the Holy One of Israel. But the message was twisted into a grace, into a a message that gave grace. The grace of God was to live as you like. For Paul, it was about God redeeming Jerusalem and comforting his people. And how would he do that? Well, Isaiah tells us later in this very chapter, he says in verse 13, he says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred beyond that of any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths on account of him for what he had not been told for what had not been told to them they will see and what they had and what they had not heard they will understand quoting his that's what he quoted so again the plan of god that paul tried to relate was the good news was that the god of israel was going to save the nations through messiah yeshua and israel would see the nations turning to god Become envious and turn to Messiah Yeshua as well. God planned it. Paul saw it. But the Romans didn't follow it. And so for 2,000 years, instead of envy, instead of jealousy, the Jewish people have been filled with mistrust. Mistrust because the anti-Semitism of the church that began in Rome. The anti-Semitism that persecuted them instead of preferring them. So here's the deal. As we close this out, we've looked at this amazing book of Romans, this amazing letter to the Romans. And I can tell you that the church has been so far off track that I don't really see any way of making Israel envious any longer. Not the church as a whole, for sure. So what do we do now that we understand? Well... It was about this time of the year that Yeshua said this. In John chapter 7 and verse 37, he says, On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Yeshua said, stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, but and since Yeshua had not yet been glorified. You see, the Romans were to be, and we are to be, through our acceptance of Messiah Yeshua, streams of living water. Life-giving water. Mayim Hayim. We are to be a refreshing spring in the wasteland of this world. A place where people can be refreshed. For the Romans, the wasteland was Rome itself with its idolatry, with its worship of false gods. The church in Jerusalem was exactly that. It was life-giving water. Led, They were led by the Spirit of God. We read in Acts 15 earlier that the disciples acted with compassion, with love, with patience, giving the Gentiles time to learn what God would have of them. Paul and others took the compassion and the love of God out to the world and tens of thousands found Messiah Yeshua. But that's not all God did through them through the compassion and love given to them by the Spirit of God, through their patience, not only with the Gentiles, but listen to what happened with their Jewish brothers. In Acts chapter 21, verse 20, it says, Brother, you see how many tens of thousands of Jews have believed. All of them zealous for the law. They not only won tens of thousands of Gentiles for Messiah, but they preached the good news to their brothers and the Jewish people responded to the good news and found Messiah by the tens of thousands. With Rome, though, becoming the seat of the church, that has never happened since. This was what was important to Paul. This was what was important to Yeshua. His people loving each other over themselves. And when that happens, people come to the Messiah by the tens of thousands. Jews and non-Jews. When Terry and I went to Israel, Terry had a wish list of places he wanted to go. And one of those was Sed Bocher. And it, it was there that these words of Yeshua... And John chapter 7 came to life for me. And I put a picture of it up here for you. God poured out his spirit on that first century congregation. And they took the kindness of God and the compassion of God and the mercy of God. And they pooled it up into a refreshing pool for all. And this is what Yeshua had in mind. And the disciples of the early church realized. The spirit of God was like that little trickle coming down off the mountain becoming a pool of refreshing life in Yeshua. But you can't really appreciate what I'm seeing unless you see the rest of said Boker. So I put another picture up. You see, that first picture is deceptive because most of it is not a paradise, not refreshing. It's a wasteland. For the Jewish people returning to Rome, this is what they found, a wasteland. And the congregations of believers should have been like a pool of living water. But that's not what happened. We can see what happened. We'll never be able to rectify what happened over the last 2,000 years. But though we can't restore those years, it's time that we wake up. Because now we know better.
Because somewhere, someone has to be this spring of living water again. A place where worship is more than singing songs on Shabbat morning. But a service where everyone's knee is bowed, face on the floor, crying out to God, what is your will for my life? A place where God speaks and the people say, Hineni, here am I. What do I do? A place that cries out for the return of Messiah. A place where your brother is preferred over yourself. We have to be a place where the commands of God are once again the essence. We find the essence of that in loving our neighbor as ourselves. Not a list of rules where the traditions flow from the heart and not from books of traditions. It must be a place where the Torah is a manual for life and not a club of death. A place where freedom in Messiah is not a license to break the commands of God without repentance, but freedom to put to death the flesh and live for God. A place like this again. I put another, the same picture up again. Sar Shalom. This is what we should be in this desert we call a church. We need to be this first century congregation, a pool of life filled with the Spirit from above. A place where Jew and non-Jew can find the stream of living water that is the image of Messiah Yeshua. Let's be remade. Let's make this year as we come to Rosh Hashanah the year that each of us is remade in the image of the Master. That we will be streams of living water. That Kehilat Sar Shalom will be a pool of life in the desert. Amen?